Welcome to Dose of Support. We are an interdisciplinary show that highlights healthcare workers. We share stories and self-care in healthcare every week. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a healthcare worker just like you. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider. Our guests are not your healthcare provider, and we're not giving healthcare advice here. Seek out care from your own healthcare provider. This podcast, host, guests, and associated social media platforms are not representing an employer or organization. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Hello, Dosies. Welcome back to the huddle. I'm so happy to check in with you this week and to have another respiratory therapist share what they do for self-care on the show. But I wanted to really address the white elephant in the room, or should I say the white supremacy in the room and really stand with my Asian American friends, family, neighbors that are being terrorized during this pandemic. Obviously, as a white woman, I do not understand the full scope and the experience that Asian Americans are going through right now. I do understand what it's like to be a woman and be the subject of potential violence from men, which is what happened last week in Georgia. And so I wanted to stand with this community that I love you. I want you to feel like this is a place for you. This is that you are welcome here at Dose of Support. And let me just say that some of the best nurses I have worked with have been Asian Americans, have been Asian immigrants. Like, I don't understand how people can be so cruel. And if you are like me and you're not sure what to do, there are a few really good things that you can do to help our Asian American neighbors. And one thing you can do is enroll in being a bystander. And there's like intervention training and just go ahead and reach out to me. I'm not hosting this training, but I can send you a link to some organizations that are doing that. And then there's a lot of places that you can donate to that are that are helping Asian Americans. Hate is a virus. Enough is enough. Asian Americans supporting justice. Stop AAPI hate. These are just a few organizations that are doing really good work to help this problem. And really, if you are a white person and you're listening to this, um, realize what, how you've benefited from white supremacy because all white people have, but also realize that white supremacy hurts all of us. It hurts all of us. And it is up to white people to be part of the solution to work on this problem. And I know that this is a heavy subject to bring up when our show is about finding self-care and listening to stories, but what? how would I serve our community if I didn't address this? And so I thought it would be important to give you resources so that you can give your own dose of support to our neighbors that are experiencing violence from hate, violence, from white supremacy, and be part of the solution. Because I think I think that if you're listening, you're probably a good person. You probably work in healthcare. You're probably wanting to make a difference, right? There are so many ways that you can. And with that, let's take a moment to just honor the lives of those we've lost and to transition into our interview. Thank you for being here.
Welcome back to Dose of Support. She's here with a Bachelor's of Science degree. She's licensed as a registered respiratory therapist. She's someone who specializes in neonatal, that's tiny, tiny babies, transport. She sounds cool, right? (laughs) Here to share a story of resilience is RT Chloe Simon. Did I say that right? Simon? Yes, you did. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, welcome, Chloe. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So you are an RT, a respiratory therapist, and you're the first, I think, lady respiratory therapist that we've had on the show. Oh, I love it. You work with these itty bitty little babies. Like how much does your average patient weigh? So I work in all areas of the children's hospital, but kind of my main spot is the NICU and we have what's called the SBU, the small baby unit. So that means they're under 27 weeks gestation. And I was trying to think about this earlier. What's the smallest patient I've ever had? And I want to say they were around like 300 grams. So that's like half a pound. Okay. I was going to say like, you're just going to have to help me out. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So half a pound, little, little baby. Yeah. So that, first of all, as someone who only has done adult work, I've said this Uh on the show, thank the goddess that there are people that want to take care of children because I don't want to do that. Um, So uh, thank you for your work and for being so passionate about this area. Um, What made you choose to be a respiratory therapist? Take us back to little Chloe. Yeah. So when I was in high school and everyone's trying to pick their colleges and what they're going to do, I kind of just always had a feeling that I was going to do something in healthcare but I wasn't exactly sure what. So when I first started, my major was actually nursing. And I went to Ferris State University, that's in Michigan, and they have tons of allied health sciences there. So when I was a freshman, I was taking just kind of the gen eds. And it was kind of by chance that I found respiratory therapy because um with my whole story of resilience, there was a class that I took that I was struggling with and I had to get a certain grade in order to um, apply for the nursing program. And I didn't get a high enough grade. I still passed, but not high enough. And so that kind of made me take a look at things if I really, if that's what I really wanted to do. So in that, I was looking at what other programs Ferris had. And that's kind of how I found respiratory therapy. I was like, oh, what is this? Like, this seems kind of interesting. And I read about it and I was like, actually, this kind of sounds like this is more for me than nursing. And so I went with it. I switched my major and then I applied to the respiratory program and I got in right away and kind of the rest is history. So it's so interesting that like, how does anyone learn about these roles unless they're Mm -hmm. in the media more? Like, unless, you know, people know that nurses are out there. People, you know, but how, how do people learn about a career that they never hear about? So you Mm -hmm. had to look into this yourself, it sounds like, and then dig into it. I don't think I ever saw a respiratory therapist until I was in my clinicals for therapy. So you think, like young people trying to make a decision about their career path, but there's not really a whole lot out there to help guide them. No, um, there's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I never looked back. Once I got into my clinicals, 
Um, one of those had to be a NICU. Once I got into that NICU, I just had a feeling like this is where I'm supposed to be. And it kind of validated it for me. And then in the end, that's exactly where I ended up getting a job is in that same NICU. It sounds like you had like a calling. Yeah, I I think I did. Yeah. Oh, I have goosebumps. I love stories (laughs) like that. Okay. So you have this bachelor's degree. And my understanding is that RTs can have they can have associate degrees, they can have bachelors, they can have even masters, I've yeah. heard, like a post-bac. Yeah. Um, and, but everybody takes the same boards, right? So what was that like for you? Um, so actually, I have an associate's in respiratory therapy, and then I have a bachelor's of allied health sciences. So I kind of have two degrees, and I did that just because it was kind of a goal of mine, like I want to go to college and at least get a bachelor's like your other RT you had on the other week was saying most programs are going to be only a bachelor's program, um, I think, moving forward. Okay. So you obviously made it through, however tumultuous (laughs) that was. Um, All right. I've talked about this before, but in the pandemic, RTs are being more seen than ever in the media. And so- do you feel represented in the media at all? Or do you feel like people understand the work you do? So before this pandemic, I would say that we were never represented in the media. You didn't even know what an RT was. And, you know, I've watched every single season and episode of Grey's Anatomy, and I've never once seen a respiratory therapist on right? there. Yeah. So then it's just been interesting during this COVID pandemic, since it is majorly a respiratory illness, we've been more recognized kind of as the unsung heroes. And it's been kind of weird for me because I'm not, I'm not used to that. And there was, you know, like friends and family texting me and, you know, asking how I was doing and nobody's really done that before. So it was kind of interesting. I obviously felt, um, grateful that we were getting recognition, but it's almost like we kind of get used to that. Um, Nurses just being the main, you know, spearhead of everything. And we're just kind of in the wings. You kind of get used to that, but it was nice to be recognized lately. And as a nurse, I would not survive my shifts without you guys. (laughs) So I think that there... I think in general among nurses, and I, I will sort of speak for the profession right now, like we need our, our RTs. Like we need you guys. You guys teach us so much. You really do a lot of handholding and you do a lot of teamwork with us. There's a lot yeah. of working together. And so I think like on the day-to-day level of us trying to get our work done, like we really appreciate y'all. <laughs> Oh, thank you. And so yeah. I I hope that nurses have treated you kindly yes. because you deserve it. I was going to say it is a really big teamwork and I love the nurses that I work with and the ones that I, you know, worked with on night shift and then now we work together on day shift and developed great relationships. I love those kind of shifts when I'm working with that kind of people and it really feels like a teamwork effort for our yeah. patients. Your work family. Yeah, yes. I, I hear you. Okay, so you feel like you're represented more. People are asking more questions about what you do, which I think is really great. Mm-hmm. So what 
do you do? What does a day in the life at Chloe's job look like (laughs) for you? So we clock in at 6.30 in the morning and then we go to the respiratory department in the hospital and we look at our assignments for the day. So I can either be on the general floors, I can be in the NICU, the PICU, the PCICU, I could be ER, or I could be on the transport team for that day. And I do not know that until I come in and clock in. So to recap, that's a lot of acronyms. So intensive care unit, a PICU is a pediatric intensive care unit, a PCICU, is that either progressive or is that cardiac? That's that for our cardiac kiddos. So pediatric cardiac intensive care unit. Um, So that's a lot. Just those are different units and different specialties. So for those that are listening, (laughs) for our listeners that are like, I don't work in peds. What the hell is she talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, yep. So it's just because kiddos are so specialized and a lot of times um, we're dealing with like genetic disorders with kids too. Um, they actually, I've noticed this where like there's lots of different types of units within a hospital because it's so specialized. So yes, it sounds like you kind of go everywhere though, which is great. Yes. It's a It's a good thing. And there's some negatives with that, but I like it. I like being an RT because I can go to these different units. I have less of a chance to get burnt out because I'm always moving, have different patients um, and are in different areas. Okay. So you, you get your assignment and it's, that's like so early. I was a night shifter. I Mm -hmm. loved night shift. I don't know how people do day shift. Um, So then what happens? So then you go to your corresponding unit and you pick um, kind of your more specific assignment for the day. So what kind of group of patients you're going to take. And then you get report, just like a lot of other um, people like nurses, we have from 6.30 to 7 to give report. And then we're signing into our phone. And at that time, I kind of look into all my patients' charts. I'm making sure my orders are correct. I'm checking like for my Neo kids, what's their most recent weight? What's their current gestation? Kind of looking at a snapshot of progress notes and seeing kind of where they're at, what kind of night they had. And um, I kind of get a game plan and write out on my assignment sheets for who I'm going to see and what I have to do for those morning rounds. Okay. And what kind of therapies are you doing for these kids? So that's all going to depend on what unit I'm in. So say I'm in NICU for the day. Um, Gosh, there's so many things we can talk about in the NICU, but um, I'll start with for most of the babies, they have care times. So certain times of your shift where they're going to be per se awake and everyone's going to be trying to do their therapies or their vitals or certain things at that time. So it's a little bit harder than NICU when say I have eight patients to see that should be between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. and I have to get these certain things done. So a lot of the kiddos are on CPAP And so we have to do CPAP care with them. If they're on a ventilator, we do a vent check. They might have um, breathing treatments due. A lot of them are getting palmacort. Some of them have CPT that you have to do. Um, And sometimes you're changing out equipment. And and then with all of that, you have the emergency situations where, say, we might have to be intubating or extubating or giving surfactant. 
to a baby. So a lot of different things. <laughs> can you can you talk a little bit about the therapies like nebula, nebulization therapies, et cetera? Yeah. So say we might have a premature baby or say meconium aspiration syndrome and they might be intubated. Um, we might be giving surfactant which is considered a drug, and it's this liquid that we put down their ET tube, so their endotracheal tube that's helping them breathe, and it's going to help their lungs develop because in certain situations, like when the babies are premature, their lungs are not developed, and that's going to help them, literally help us oxygenate them after giving that medication. I imagine that you are utilized heavily in the NICU, but when you're taking care of older children, what, how does that change your therapy and your interventions? Yeah. So, okay, let's go to the PICU. Some of those kids are intubated up there and they might be dealing with, um, they might need some different CPT like IPV where we're literally like percussing their lungs to help break up secretions, open their airways and be able to um, suction those secretions out. So there's a lot of, they kind of call it the pulmonary toilet where Mm -hmm. we're giving them certain nebulizers, medications, and we're doing those treatments, breaking up all of that to be able to get it out. Um, We might have a patient say on the general floor that has cystic fibrosis Mm-hmm. And they get a whole gamut of um, nebulizers, different types of nebulizers, and then they always have CPT as well. And they might have a vest or they might have a cough assist. And so we're going there every four hours or every six hours and coaching them through and helping them do their treatments. So you, I'm guessing, do you work a 12-hour shift or an eight-hour shift? We're 12 hours. So you are like rounding on patients, doing these treatments. And in my experience, sometimes those treatments are every four hours. So you finish doing one Uh round and then you start the whole thing all over again for all of your patients and you do it X amount of times during the day. And um, hopefully people are improving each time and sometimes not. So um, I'm sure that you see a lot of crazy, weird things, which we're going to talk about shortly. But Why don't we take a break? And when we come back, Chloe's going to tell a story from practice and share a little more with us. So stay tuned. break with RT Chloe Simon, who's here to share a story of resilience. So go ahead, Chloe, lay it on us. Thank you. So today I kind of wanted to just tell the story about how I got to where I was because so many times people look at me or my Instagram and whatnot, and they tend to think that I have, you know, a perfect life and I have it all together and I had this great job, but I went through, let's just say, a lot of shit to get here, to get where I am. So if we go back about five years when I graduated with my degree in respiratory therapy, like we had talked about before, I had to take my boards. So 
I was a little different in that I finished my respiratory degree in December, and then I took the next semester to finish my degree for my Bachelor's of Allied Health Sciences. And so I made the decision to not take my board testing until I was done with that second degree. Wow. Mm. And I didn't really think that that was a big deal at the time. (laughs) I'm over here like, ooh. (laughs) Yeah, that was probably a mistake. It probably would have been a little bit easier if I would have taken it right away. Well, anyways, we all make mistakes, right? So then I go to take my boards and I'm like, okay, I'm like officially done with my degrees. Now it's time to buckle down and take my boards. So I go and take the first one and I fail. And not that I thought that it was easy, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to study a lot more, shift a little bit, make the changes I need to, and I'm just going to take it again and I'm going to take it until I pass. And I was doing a couple of different things at that time because I was done with school. I think I was working at the mall at that time. I was also on a semi-pro dance team. And I was serving as Miss Greater Grand Rapids in the Miss America system. So first of all, like I have to interrupt you. I don't know what it is, but like you are like the fourth or fifth dancer I've interviewed. And I'm also a former dancer. Oh, I love it. Um, Yeah. Like 17 years of dance. Anyway. That's so funny. We must be drawn to each other. So I'm obviously doing other things while I'm trying to study for my boards because I'm not just the type of person to just sit there. I love to be busy. Um, So I take my test again and I failed again. (gasps) No. Yes. So that time in my life, looking back, was really difficult for me mentally because obviously that made me question, you know, Am I in the right field? Am I doing the right thing? Like, I'm a smart person. In high school, I got straight A's. Like, why Why can't I pass this? Like, so I really had to do some reflection. And obviously, I realized, you know, no, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. I'm. It doesn't matter how many times I'm going to take it. I'm going to get it done. Wow. So, I finally passed the first test, and so I got I get my CRT, still studying for the next test, and I actually got uh, called for an interview, and I was kind of shocked because there was other people in my same respiratory class that applied there and didn't even get an interview, and I kind of have to credit the Miss America system competing there because I think one of the things of say why I think I was hired was because of my interview skills and because of my resume. I wasn't just doing school. You know, I was involved in so many things and volunteering. And I think they just really saw what type of person I was and not that I didn't have my second test done yet. So So it's kind of a good testament to, you know, when you're Growing up and your parents, well, I had, I had really good parents that told me to be a well-rounded student. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of a testament to that where you, yeah. um, like you showed up in so many different areas of your life and people saw that about you and thought you would be a good fit because look at all this, look at all of how well-rounded you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so then I end up getting a job there. 
absolutely thrilled because, but nobody else there was just a CRT. I was the only one. So I guess when people kind of started finding that out, I struggled with that a little bit because because of that, I was only allowed to work on the general floors. I couldn't go to the ICU yet until I got my second test done. So that was another thing that I want to say, don't ever listen to those people that are talking negatively about you because they're not you. They don't know what you're going through and they're not the one taking your test. So I'm starting working. And at that time, I was also getting ready to compete at Miss Michigan that summer. And I'm trying to take my second board test. So of course, that second one, I don't pass on my first time because what fun would that be? <laughs> I have to I have to struggle. And so I took that one um, a couple times and then I finally passed and then I got my full RRT. And then I was able to start my orientation in the NICU. And again, ever since I got back in the NICU, I just knew that's where I was supposed to be. And now fast forward four, four or five years later, I'm now on the NICU transport team, which was a dream of mine ever since I was a student there. So I guess I just wanted to share that story because I think a lot of people can relate to it. Because when I sit back and reflect about it, I just think, what if I would have gave up? What if I would have said, you know, it, that's too hard. That's not That's not for me. I, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't end up where I am today. And sometimes you just have to push past that and push past your fear of failure because and like you're so gonna fail like I just yeah. I'm yeah I will just say that I I have totally failed and it sounds like you have too and it's part of life and part of your career yeah. and even even now like there are decisions that I make and there I'm not I'm not perfect nobody is and mm-hmm. I I think this really is a story of resilience because like you had to work through the failure to keep showing up and, mm-hmm. um, and now you're doing the dream job that, that you love. And so I love this. I love this because you're being vulnerable and you're sharing your failure mm-hmm. and there, and I think a lot of people feel so much shame around. Yes. And I did. You know, yeah. So that's why yeah. I want to share it because that might help someone else out there who's struggling or might have failed something and is considering giving up. Like if that is what you want to do, what you've been called to do, keep going and keep pushing. And I also like to think that because I struggled and didn't pass on the first time, I think I'm a better therapist in person because of that, because I struggled. I am so grateful now to have the privilege to take care of these patients. It's such a privilege and I'm so grateful for it. And I don't know if I would have felt like this, say if I just would have passed on the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Like you felt like you worked a little extra hard just so you could do it. Yeah. And yeah, I love it. I love it. And so it sounds like you have a little bit of this built in drive and perseverance um, that sometimes people just don't have. Some people aren't aren't born with that. So, can you talk a little bit about um, your self care practices? What you do to keep your mind, body, spirit healthy? 
Yeah. So I think my number one thing that I tell everybody (laughs) is I see a therapist and I have seen her for about five years and I pretty much tell everyone, all my friends, like everyone needs a therapist because it has helped me an incredible amount. And, you know, I started going to her because uh, my brother passed away and I have been through a lot of trauma. And so that's why I initially started going, but we're five years later and I'm still going every two weeks because that's just the one thing I have continued to do for myself because you're almost working on yourself if you're going through therapy and you're working on those traumas and you're able to be a, a better person, your best self when doing that. Um, have you found any ways to apply some of the things you learn in therapy in real life? Like how, how could someone else, I guess, um, mobilize mm-hmm. that for themselves? Am I, am I making any sense? I don't fucking know. Um, okay. So, so can, are there any techniques that you could share? So something that my therapist asked me at the end of every session is, what are you doing for yourself? Or what have you done for yourself? She asked that every single time. In the beginning, when she first started asking me that, I didn't have anything to say. I didn't have anything. And so that's just made me make that a a constant part of my life where I'm always thinking about what am I doing for myself? What am I going, how am I going to do some self-care for me? Something little every day and then maybe something bigger that week, but I make that a priority, I guess. And I would imagine that, um, I obviously we don't know your trauma or your family um, tragedy, but I would imagine that you see like babies die and families like just, you know, I would imagine you see some really hard things that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of us in healthcare see that stuff and Mm -hmm. talking it through um, with someone who's just completely removed from the situation Mm -hmm. and can give you some perspective on it is I have also found that to be helpful. Um, so when she asks you what you're doing for yourself, what are some ideas that you have that, that, what helps you the most? So like I mentioned before, I was a dancer and so I love going, trying to find just any kind of, open dance class I can take. And, um, something I've done more regularly is yoga. And you like right now, you don't even have to find a studio to go to. You can find something online and just do it in your living room. And that's like what I've done, um, kind of during this pandemic. Um, so just trying to incorporate, do something for myself, move, do yoga and try to meditate. And then another thing, especially I've done more during COVID is, um, hand lettering, like a lot of people do kind of like the adult coloring books, but okay. I kind of take it a step further. So it it's almost like calligraphy, but I was going to say like, uh, cause that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. but you're, like just letters. Yes. So <laughs> words and quotes and um, I've made like a sign for my friend's wedding and I decorated a friend's cup and I'm making a baby sign for another coworker. Oh. And I just feel like I always have done something in my life that's somewhat creative and Mm -hmm. I just need another creative outlet. And so that's kind of where, 
how I how I use it today. So do you just go to Michael's, pick up like a calligraphy set or have an idea in your mind for a project or how do you get your inspiration for that? Because I think a lot of people have that creative Mm -hmm. um, part of them, but they don't know how to like how to employ it, how to deploy Mm -hmm. it. That's what I mean. Deploy. Well, my mom actually got me this lettering book from um, it's called all she wrote notes. And that's kind of how it taught me specifically how to hand letter. And so then I take that and I, I love to just go on Pinterest and look through ideas and I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. I could make that. And I like love quotes. So, and then, yeah, I'll go to the craft store and find something that I can letter on because I always see things and I'm like, I could make that. (laughs) So that's what I do. That is awesome. So so here we are with Crafty Chloe, which maybe you need an Instagram handle for that. Yeah, and um, I'd love to share your stuff um, on Instagram too, because when this episode comes out, we can just like, yeah. hey, get crafty with Chloe. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and it sounds like moving your body, whether that be exercise or a stretch or just something that you know, gives you energy, Mm -hmm. um, and therapy. So some really great self-care recommendations that really most people probably could tap into. So Chloe, if people want to ask you more questions about respiratory therapy or the NICU or crafty Chloe, how can they find you? Yeah. My Instagram is Clobird. So it's spelled C-H-L-O-B-Y-R-D. It was kind of a nickname I had growing up as a child, and I kind of still keep it. So if you're wondering what that's from. Okay. So thanks again to Chloe Simon for being here this week. And listeners, I'll be back in your ears next week with a whole new show. Stay tuned. You can extend a dose of support even further by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, or by giving us a rating or review. You can always support the show monetarily on patreon.com slash dose of support. Dose of support is written, organized, emails, edited, produced, published, all the things by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by John Schreier. I'm punching out this week but I will be back in your ears next week for another Dose of Support.